Amen. I'm going to invite you to stay standing for just a second while I read God's Word um, to us today. Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7 and go all the way through the end of the book. We are wrapping up our series today um, called uh, All In. And so if you're new here at the table, we are so glad to have you. The screen, uh, words will be on the screen for you. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on our uh, giving table right back there at the back or on the tables in the lobby. Feel free to get one of those on your way um, out. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word um, with you. So with that said, let's, we're going to go ahead and, and jump into this as we wrap up Colossians today. Paul writes to the church here, Colossae, and he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, um, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. God, we pray that your word would convict where we need to be convicted. And God, we pray that your word would encourage where we need to be encouraged. God, thank you that Paul did not do ministry alone. Um, all these messengers, all these companions, all these people in the church that he knew about, um, God, proclaiming the gospel and being on mission. God, it is a team effort. And we thank you for these these little glimpses into how Paul actually did ministry. God, may we seek to do likewise. And we ask it in Jesus' good, good name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, again, my name is Cody, and uh, I get to be the pastor here at the table. And we're so glad that you're joining with us today. So we're going to jump in to this as we wrap up this series called All In. Um, all these people were in in ministry um, with Paul. And uh, I'll open it up by like a, a, a couple of stories. Um, so this, this past week, I was on my way to um, Surprise to get some pieces of furniture that um, God's blessed us with from um, another church. Um, our giving tables are new. Or our giving table and our communion tables are new. Um, we got those from another church, and so we're happy to have those. So I was on my way to go pick them up, and I get passed by this guy on a super bike. I mean, like a, I don't know, like a, like a, you know, I, I call they're the kind that like they're not like the Harleys, like like where you're sitting like on a lazy boy. They're more like the ones where you're like up and you're on your, like just one of those fast bikes, like the super bikes, hyper bikes, like, you know. And I'm like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. And then I look at the guy riding it, and this guy's like 70. No helmet. 
70, no helmet, backpack, greasy, like, clothes. He's got, like, these Mad Max, you know, goggles on. And I'm like, okay, that's different. All right, cool. Like, I, I kind of aspire to be like that whenever I get to be that age. That's kind of, like, kind of remarkable. And then, and so as I'm following him, and he pulls up beside this other bike, and this thing is like a Vespa scooter. And on it is a young 20-something dude that I kid you not, he's wearing flip-flops. And he's got earbuds in. No helmet. And so they, he pulls up alongside one another, and I look at these two things thinking, those riders should be like flip-flopped. They, like they, they should be on different bikes. And, and I look at the old guy, and he looks over, and he just kind of looks up and down. I'm like, oh... He probably just feels all of this disgust for this young, yuppie, flip-flop riding Vespa scooter dude. And that wasn't what happened at all. They started like talking. They just started having a conversation. There, I mean, it's just like these worlds are colliding. And I watch, and as they take off, now the dude on the hyperbike, he could have smoked this guy. He could have just left him in the dust. There's no way a Vespa's you know, like, gonna stay up with like a Hayabusa or whatever that those things are. And I don't even know what brand Hayabusa is. I don't know if it's Suzuki, Kawasaki. That's why I just said Hayabusa. I just know that that's one of them. But it's a superbike and it's fast. He didn't leave him. He just kind of stayed at the same pace until he had to turn off. And they're talking the whole way. And I thought, that is a beautiful picture of how the kingdom of God is supposed to be. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that God is holy and we are not. That God is sinless and we are utterly sinful. That God has sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a perfect life. To die on the cross for our sin. So that Jews and Gentiles, old superbike riders and young yuppie Vespa riders, could both alike be united in the gospel. And come into the kingdom of God. That is the way that this thing is supposed to work. The gospel breaks down these barriers. The gospel breaks, it brings together people who otherwise would not come together. The gospel does that. And we see it in the people that Paul lists in this in this list of names of people that he's giving greetings to and giving instruction about. Alright? Let me, let's, first of all, let's look at three, I want to look at three different groups of people. I want to look at the messengers, I want to look at the companions, and then I want to look at the church, the, the couple of people he mentioned that were actually in the church at Colossae. Okay? And then lastly, we'll look at Paul, the missionary. So, the messengers. Let's look first at the messengers. Big idea, despite real differences, the gospel mission. The fact that God has sent His Son into the world to save people. That is the gospel, and that unites people. Despite real, legitimate differences. Let's look at this. Um, look at these first two. This is found in verses um, 7 through 9. We have two guys that are mentioned, and they are the messengers. They are sent from Paul to carry this letter to the, to the Colossians that he has written. So they... Only one of them, we know for a fact, is 
part of the church. At, he has history with the church at Colossae. Tychicus, maybe. But he, he sends these two guys back. They're the messengers. They're going to deliver the, the letter. And look at what he says about them. Tychicus and Onesimus. Let's look at Tychicus. Who were these men? And what was their purpose? First of all, their purpose was to take the letter and to tell the Colossian church how things are going with Paul and with his team. That's their purpose. Paul doesn't go into a whole lot of detail in the letter about how he's doing in prison. He mentions that he's in prison, but he didn't go into a whole lot of detail about, like, I've been sharing the gospel with this prison guard. He's close to getting saved. Or this guy has caused me all kinds... He doesn't go into a whole lot of detail about that. He just simply says, I'm in prison. Things are all right. They're going to fill you in on the rest of the details. He didn't waste any of the precious papyrus paper that he had, the little bit that he had on those details of his life. He wanted to encourage them in the gospel. He's a Tychicus Onesimus. They'll tell you how I'm doing. Encourage your hearts. But here's what we hear about Tychicus. Tychicus, tell him how I'm doing. And then, but look at these things that he says about Tychicus. He says he's a beloved brother. Now this could mean that he is a brother, like in the sense that he belongs to that church. Or we know it for sure means he's a brother in Christ. He's a fellow Christian. He may not have been from that church exactly, but Paul commends him. He recommends them to this church. He goes, I trust this guy enough to carry this letter. Listen to him. He He's sent from me. He also calls him a faithful minister. The word minister doesn't necessarily refer to like a specific title or position that he has in the church. It's more upon the fact that like he's a, he's a deacon. He's a servant. That's what the word minister means. He's, he's a servant of the church, and he says he's faithful. This guy, he sticks with it. He's not flaky. He's faithful. You can count on this guy. Number three, he's a fellow servant. So it means that he serves. He, he, he's a slave in the same way that I'm, I am. The servant, is, that's the word that is used here, doulos. It means it, it's a term for, sla- for a slave, not that of a servant, which is deacon. So he's describing him in all these different aspects. Then he moves on to Onesimus. Now, here's what's really interesting. Onesimus is from Colossae. And Onesimus had met Paul in prison. Onesimus was a slave of another guy in the church at Colossae by the name of Philemon. Now, that's important because that's one of, the, that's one of your homework assignments today. I want you to go home today and I want you to read Philemon. It's, it's just a couple of pages past this book right here. It's only one page. There's one chapter. It's like the shortest letter that Paul wrote. And I want you to read it. And here's why this is important. Because Philemon was formerly Onesimus' owner. Onesimus, for some reason, had run away. Which, in Roman culture, was a capital offense. He could have been killed for that. So let's not get this lost on us, Okay? Here's a guy in the church at Colossae, Philemon, who's probably well-to-do. He has been legitimately wronged. Onesimus deserting and leaving, that's a legitimate offense. Onesimus becomes a Christian. who He, he meets up, of all people, in prison, Paul. <laughs> and he becomes a Christian. Onesimus is, gets free, and Paul sends him back. Don't let the vulnerability of that be lost on you. The faith that it took Onesimus to have. I mean, when when Paul approached him and said, Hey, 
I want you to go back with Tychicus and take this letter back. He's taking this letter to the church. I want you to take this letter back to Philemon. Can you imagine Onesimus? Like, are you crazy? You want me to take a letter from you back to that guy? That guy could have me killed. And you want me to go back to him and put a letter in his hands from you? You think that's going to keep me from, like, getting beheaded? I, like, are you, are you, have you lost your mind? And Paul's like, no, I, I have my head about me. Take this. So imagine Tychicus and Onesimus, they're, they're on this journey. They're probably getting close. They're talking to one another about what's going on. Onesimus is a very new Christian. He's probably talking to Tychicus, who's a faithful uh, minister, who's a beloved brother, who's a fellow servant. He's more mature in the faith. He's probably talking to him like, how do you think it's going to go? You know it. I, I know him. I know Philemon. I, I, don't, I don't know what kind of mood he's going to be in this day. What, how do you think it's going to go? What do you think the church is going to say? They don't, they, don't, they don't know me as a Christian. What's going to happen? I bet Tychicus and Onesimus got pretty close on that trip. You imagine them walking into, I don't know, maybe it's Nympha's house. Walk into her house. Everybody's, you know, hugging Tychicus. They're, they're glad to see him. He's filling him in on Paul. And then Philemon's over there in the corner and he sees Onesimus walk in. He raises an eyebrow like the rock. Onesimus kind of sheepishly walks over there toward him. Hands him this letter. Meanwhile, Tychicus has handed the letter to the the leader there at the church. And he's reading this letter before the church. And Philemon is back there in the corner reading the letter from Paul. And he's hearing all this stuff about gospel unity. And he's hearing all these things about applying the gospel. And he's reading direct words from Paul telling him that he can't regard Onesimus as his property anymore but he's got to regard him as a brother in Christ. Talk about multiple layers of things going on inside of a small church. And let's don't, let's don't get it all twisted and think that like this is a mega church, like it's not like CCV that they walk into, and like you can just kind of hide in the corner. No, no, no. This is probably as small or smaller than what we are. Like everybody would have known what's going on. They knew who was, who was in. And that's not to throw any stones at CCV, but let's, let's, let's get it in context. Let's, this is a small gathering of people, intimately known. So here's what I want you to do today. There, there are real differences that are being set aside for the sake of the gospel in this letter. I want you to go home and read Philemon because this would have been a letter delivered alongside this letter to the Colossians. And I want you to read it three times. It's only one chapter. Read it three times. I want you to read it and put yourself in Onesimus' position. And then I want you to read it and put yourself in Philemon's position. And then I want you to read it and put yourself in Paul's position, trying to bring people together who have real differences. Real differences about how they see the world and how the world and how things should be done but he brings them together for the sake of the gospel. Before we move on to the next section, I want you to also self-assess as we look at this, especially as we look at these descriptions of Tychicus. Beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. 
are you a brother or a sister in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you a Christian? Now, some of you may say, yes, I'm a Christian. And you may have a very different assessment or a different definition of that. For instance, if you would have asked me in sixth grade as I was a junior high student, are you a Christian? I would have said, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. But that's not the definition that Paul uses. That's not a gospel definition of what a Christian is. Because the devil believes in God. But he's not a Christian. Trust me, he knows that God exists. If you, if your, if your definition is, I'm a Christian because I believe in God, congratulations, you have satanic faith. I know that's harsh. But it is true. Your, your faith is no better than what Satan's faith is. If you believe in God. That's good. And it's a great, it's a great starting place. But you can believe in God and still live your life in complete opposition to Him. So, Say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is in the Son of God. Well, now we're getting somewhere. This is great. Because that that is absolutely essential. You have to believe that God exists. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But still, that's not enough. You say, well, why? Well, because of the same reason. When you look at all of Jesus' encounters with demonic spirits and stuff in the Old Te- or in the New Testament, they say, What have you to do with us, Son of God? The, the demons believe that Jesus was the Son of God as well. It goes back into this idea of faith and trust. Like, what are you putting your faith and trust in? And this is where the rubber really meets the road. So I'm gonna ask, I asked this question to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and I'll ask it to you here today, and we can revisit it toward the end of the sermon, hopefully here in just a few minutes, um, when, we, when we wrap this thing up. If, you, if, if someone were to ask you, and I'm asking you this right now, we'll just go ahead and get the passivity of it out of the way. I'm asking you this right now. What would you say you are trusting in to go to heaven? Your works, your good behavior, your morality, your good deeds, or Jesus? Which one would you say you're trusting in? If you're trusting in any of your good deeds, good behavior, I'm sorry, but that does not make you a Christian. You are not a Christian if you are trusting in your works. You are a Christian. What makes a person a Christian is if they are trusting in only what Christ has done. In Him and in Him alone. Because a Christian recognizes, I'm not good enough. I am not, I have failed. I am a sinner. But by faith in what Christ has done and what He has accomplished for me on the cross, That is how I have access to God. Because of what Christ has done. Not because of my works. That's what a Christian is. Tychicus and Onesimus have come to that place. They are Christians. Paul has entrusted them to take this letter back. So self-assess. Are you a brother or sister in Christ? Are you in the Lord? And then secondly, I would say, are you beloved? Is there a group of people that you belong to that you would say, that those are my people? That's my community. Expressed like in a local church. Do you belong to a particular church? Where is your home? Where would you say this is where, where I go? Who are your people? What is your purpose there? What what do you do? This is one of the things that um, I ask them when people 
you know, I'll encounter people as I'm out, you know, out and about on the golf course or at a coffee shop, and I'll invite them to church and say, oh, I'll go so, so-and-so. Great, who's your pastor? If they don't know, then I look at them as free game. They're, 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 they're open. I'm going after them. If you don't know your pastor's name, I'm totally going after you. If they know their pastor's name, the second thing I ask them is, what do you do there? Which normally they're like, what do you mean? Well, what do you do there? You're part of the body of Christ. What do you do? I, 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 yeah, you're free game too. Because we're planting a church and we got things for you to do. <laughs> All right? What has God called you to do specifically? To move the mission forward. To encourage the hearts of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? Tychicus and Onesimus, they had a job to do. They were part of this, of this church. And we don't know how long they were going to stay there, but this is where they were going to be for a little while. That's the messengers. Verses 10 through 14. Let's look at the companions. The companions, there are three Jewish guys and there are three Gentile guys that Paul mentions. He mentions the Jewish guys first. And their names are Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus. Kind of easy to figure out that the guy named Jesus is Jewish. Okay? But he also has a nickname called Justice, probably because he didn't want to get confused with like being the real Jesus. So, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, here's an interesting thing. Verse the last part of verse 11. He gives, Paul gets really vulnerable. He kind of shares his pain a little bit. He says, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. I'll flesh that out here in just a minute. So these three Jewish guys and three Gentile guys, very, very different backgrounds. They didn't grow up celebrating the same holidays. They didn't grow up going to the same kind of church. They grew up with very, very different religious practices, customs. Their homes didn't... The Gentile guys don't remember. They didn't say those type of prayers in their home that the the Jewish guys did. Very different backgrounds. Different ways of worshiping. Different stances on Jewish festival observances, practices, and worship elements. Aristarchus, fellow prisoner, fellow sufferer. There's a bond formed there. This is a guy who's went to prison with Paul. Like some of the other guys he, he was partners with, but this, they, if you're in prison together for the sake of the gospel, you're sharing a bond that not everybody shares. Mark. Now here's what's interesting about Mark. Mark had deserted Paul before. If you go back into Acts chapter 12, Barnabas and Paul, meet this guy, he's called John, also called Mark. So that's what we call John Mark. They meet him at the end of verse of chapter 12 of the book of Acts. He ends up going with them. They don't even get through a chapter. They don't even get through chapter 13 and John Mark says, yeah, I can't do this. I'm out. He withdraws from them. And then in verse, in chapter 15, they come back, they go to the Jerusalem council, they talk about all this stuff going on, and then they say, well, we want to go visit these churches again. And Barnabas, who is John Mark's cousin, he tells Paul, he goes, hey, let's take, let's take Mark with him. And Paul's like, no. Can you blame Paul? Now, at this point, some of you 
more type A personalities are like, no, I'm on Paul's side. That guy quit him. No, don't take him. He's not trustworthy. Others of you are like, Paul, you're being kind of a jerk. Now, who's right and who's wrong? It's life. It's what happens. This letter has been written about 12 years afterwards. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you right now. Don't wait 12 years to reconcile with someone who quits you. And those of you who quit, don't expect the type A guys to get over it real fast. I'm not saying who's right and wrong. I'm just telling you this is what is in in the in the text. This is the reality of it. All right. Mark had he had deserted him, and Paul's like, I'm not taking him with him. And a sharp disagreement arose between Barnabas and Paul, and they separated. Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul takes Silas, which is who my boy's named after. And then we have Jesus called justice. And we know nothing except that he's Jewish. Now here's what this vulnerability means. Only the men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Paul is talking about his pain. He's being vulnerable. He himself is Jewish. And he longs for his countrymen to be saved. But he has, he's had to fight some of them, which were called the Judaizers. At every turn, at every church that he's gone into, there have been Jewish guys, men of the circumcision, that have come in and have tried to proclaim to young, impressionable Christians, like Onesimus, that you have to be... It's good that you're following Jesus, but you got to start following these customs. you got to be circumcised. you got to do it our way. And Paul has fought for, for them. He, and he said, listen... This is a gospel issue. You cannot require circumcision to these Gentile guys that are coming to faith in Christ. You can't require that. You can't require them to start eating only these kinds of meats. You can't require them to go to the synagogue with you. You can't require them to only observe these kinds of festivals. You can't require this stuff of them. Because you're not saved by law. You're not saved by what you do. It's a gospel issue. And because of Paul's stance on this, it has put him at odds with his fellow countrymen. And as such, alone a lot. Some of his believing Jewish brothers outright opposed his doctrine. Some opposed his methods. But many most likely just stayed silent and stayed out of it and kind of creating this cold, lonely distance. I said last week that God's plan is the desert road of dependence. And Paul had to walk it. Just like all who desire God's kingdom to come over their own kingdom. Let me tell you how this hits me. I want to plant a church. I want the table church to outlive me. I want to plant something in the ground that is going to outlive me. I want that. But my identity can't get wrapped up in it. And I have to be more concerned about the kingdom of God than just this one particular church. That does not mean that I am not faithful to this church. But it does mean that the kingdom of God is bigger than just this particular church. 
Does that make, does that, do you feel that? Like what you do here matters. It matters a whole lot. And also, it's just a church. There's a lot of them out there. All right? We're not the best. Clearly. We just got new communion tables. I mean, literally. The, like, we, we just got real furniture for communion tables. I'll, get, I'll, let y'all, I'll let y'all peek behind the curtain a little bit. You know what they were before? Lifetime fold-out tables that you get from Costco with some of those drapes draped over them to make them look better. That's all they were. We're not a perfect church. We're, we're growing. But we've got to be kingdom-minded. We've got to be kingdom-minded. So let's look at the Gentile guys. Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Epaphras is one of their own. Epaphras is the guy who started the church. Now here's what's really interesting about this. Paul's not sending him back to the church. Now imagine that you're Epaphras' brother or sister or mom or dad. And you're like, Tychicus and Onesimus walk in there that day like, Hey, where's Paffy? Where's my boy? They read the letter. And, and they're like, he ain't coming back. Well, dang it, Paul. I didn't know he was going to do that. And that's how, that's how the Lord does it. Right? I mean, you can look around and look at the people that are sitting near you or by you. That if you think that they're going to be here all for always, no. It, it doesn't work that way. By God's grace, a lot of you have been here for a long, long time. But we're not promised to be like, you know, us too, always and forever. It, it's, not, it's not promised like that. And as a highly relational, high bandwidth capacity pastor that tends to get close with people, it hurts. It hurts when people aren't, they don't stay. That hurts. It ripped my guts out. When Tanner Britt said he was moving back to Texas. Dang it, Tanner! I discipled you! I thought we were going to grow old together and I was going to get there first and you were going to help me, like take me to doctor's appointments. Dang it! You're leaving! Now i got to find somebody else! It hurts! Megan Dobbins, our kids leader, she got really, really close to the brand kids. She still ain't over it! It hurts! And I guarantee you there are people in this church that felt the same way because Epaphras isn't back with them. He's one of their own who struggles in prayer for them. And he's not coming back. He's the guy who started the church. And Paul has other plans for him. You've got to be okay with God having other plans for people that you will get really, really close to. You've got to be okay with that. I've got to be okay with that. But nobody leave this week. Okay? Just don't. Nope. you got to stay this week. Luke. Luke, the beloved physician. He's been a closer friend to Paul than probably most. He's mentioned all throughout the book of Acts. He's mentioned in here. I mean, he's just a good, good guy. And here's what's interesting about Luke. He was probably a slave. 
I didn't realize this because it says, oh, he's a beloved physician. Luke was a doctor. Typically, we don't think of doctors as being slaves. But here, it's because we're separated by 2,000 years of history and an ocean. We don't understand how things worked in the ancient Near East. But the way it worked then, if you were wealthy enough and you had enough money, you would not be so part of something so squalid in nature as being a doctor and digging around and taking, you know, stitching up swords, sword wounds and taking, I don't think they had guns, so I wouldn't say taking bullets out of people, but, you know, you just wouldn't do the kind of squalid things that a doctor would do. But if you had a smart slave that you owned, you would pay for his schooling and he would do it. So that's probably what Luke was. Most of the doctors back then were were slaves. And then we have Demas. He doesn't hardly say anything about Demas. Look at what the rest of the text goes on in verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, our servant in Christ, he's a Gentile guy, struggling, who greets you always, struggling on, on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved... Um, Physician greets you, as does Demas. And that's all we're told about Demas. Here. But we are told more about Demas later on. Just a few months or years later, Demas, who is with Paul now, because we know from Colossians, but we know from 2 Timothy chapter 4, he deserts Paul sometime after this. We found it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. He says He's writing to Timothy, he says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you too, for he is very useful to me in ministry. He doesn't tell us why Cretans has gone to Galatia. Probably the same reason Tychicus went to Colossae. And we can assume the same thing about Titus to Dalmatia. He doesn't say anything negative about those guys leaving. He just says, no, I've sent them on to other places. They're going to plant churches. He goes, but Demas, he ain't going anywhere to plant a church. He just left. He's just more in love with the world than he is with the kingdom of God. And that was hurtful. You say, well, now again, the type A personalities in the room will probably say, Man, I don't like Demas. And the other personalities in the room be like, why did Paul have to throw Demas under the bus like that? He like wrote it. He put it in paper. Why didn't, shouldn't he like kept that to himself? I don't know. I will say this though. Let us be known as a church and let us be known as Christians more for what, uni- more for what unites us than what divides us. Let us be known for what we are united for. For Paul, it was he was united for the proclamation of the gospel and moving the church forward and planting these churches. That's what he was known for. That's what he had assembled this these team members together. Three Gentile guys, three Jewish guys. Very, very different guys. Probably different preferences on how they do church. Probably different preferences on how they celebrate Christmas. And yet, they're together for the proclamation of the gospel. Personally, be known as someone who brings folks together for a greater purpose and not someone who divides over 
lesser reasons over preference. So now we move on to the church. The Colossian church, verses 15 through 17. He said, these guys, there are some greetings from these guys, from Aristarchus, from Mark, from Jesus, from Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. And now he says, here are some greetings too. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read to... Uh, um, have also have also have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see to it that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And I say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I could spend all kinds of time talking about the Laodiceans and that letter, and why don't we have that letter in the New Testament? Where is it at? Um, there's all kinds of different opinions on that. I will tell you that Laodicea and Ephesus are really close together, and I think as best as I believe it, is that that letter is probably referring to the letter of the Ephesians. There's so much commonality between Colossians and Ephesians grammatically that we think that Paul wrote both of those. He sent one guy with that. And Laodicea, we know that Ephesus was a circular letter. Laodicea was one of the places where it would have went. And I said I wasn't going to take much time on this, and here I am doing it. So, verse 17 is where I want to hone in on. Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Paul takes some time to encourage the faithful servants of Colossae. Even though he had not met, met them, he knew of some of them. Nympha has shown great hospitality in hosting the church in her home. This has probably cost her something socially. It's probably cost her financially. She's bringing in this group of people that are not the same as the Gentiles, not the same as, as, as the Jews, and they're worshiping Jesus in her home. Archippus is encouraged to fulfill the ministry that he has received in the Lord. Here's my question. What is the ministry that you have received in the Lord? You say, well, I don't know. My name's not Archippus. I'm not in the text. I know. And thank the Lord that your name is not Archippus. That is a grace to you that God has given you. It would be weird for your teachers and anybody that calls out your pizza. So, um, but... But still, God has something for you. He's created you. He's gifted you. He has something. He has a place for you. What is that? What does it look like to fulfill it? Lastly, we move into verse 18. Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You say, well, that's a weird thing. Why, didn't, why did Paul say he wrote this, this greeting with his own hand? I thought he wrote the letter. Yeah, he did, but he was probably dictating it, speaking it to a guy, and that guy was writing it down. That's how most people did letter writing back in the ancient Near East. That's how they did correspondence. But as was common with Paul is he would often take the, at the end of it, he would write the greeting with his own hand which was a way of him saying, I've read over this and I verify everything that's said in here. Like Tychicus or Onesimus, whoever wrote this for me, they didn't slip something in on me. You're, you're getting all Paul. Signs off on it. And then he says, remember my chains. He brings them back. And that's a way of them saying, a way of him requesting prayer from the church, but also to inspire them, to say, yeah, ministry is going to be tough. I'm in jail for it, and it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. And then he says, he closes the letter with the same way he starts it. Grace be with you. This is the thing that should 
characterize any church. But I'm mostly concerned about this church. This is the one I've been given personal responsibility for. That we be characterized by grace. That grace be with us. That we show grace to one another. That we show grace to those who come in here. That we set the table liberally and generously for people. That we should be generous with grace. That we shouldn't be stingy with it. As soon as grace is stingy, it's not grace. Grace can only be generous. Grace can can only be liberal. It can only be in abundance. So, how we wrap all this up and look at this, at who Christ is. Christ, who is the focal point of the gospel. It's why Paul is in prison. It's why he's writing this letter to this church because he wants the gospel to go forward. He wants them to be plugged in with Jesus. Christ is our ultimate beloved brother, our older brother, who came and did for us what we could not do. Beloved of of God, the only begotten Son of God, who came to make a way to the Father for us so that we could be adopted into the family of God. Christ is our faithful minister. Christ, the only one who is completely faithful. The only one, the one that Paul kept going back to over and over and over again, even when everybody else had left him. But Christ never left Paul. Demas may have deserted him. John Mark may have withdrawn from them for a time, but Jesus never left him. He never left his side. Jesus promises us that. that I'll, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So even when your ministry and even when things get hard and get tough in, the, in your assignment where you're at, know that if you are about the gospel and if you are about the mission and if you are about bringing other people in so that they can know the love of Christ, it will probably get lonely on a human level, but Jesus will never leave you and never forsake you. And Jesus is our fellow servant who came to this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you can't give your life so that other people can be saved. No one is going to be saved by the shedding of your blood. But because of Jesus, our older brother, our faithful minister, our beloved brother, because of what he has done on our behalf and the example that he has set for us, we can give our lives to something greater than just dying with the most toys, than just dying comfortably. We can give our lives to something more, and we should. So, I'm going to ask you, we give three invitations. Number one, are you a Christian? If we... if if someone were to ask you, what are you depending upon to go to heaven? Are you depending upon your works? Or are you depending upon what Jesus has done? If your answer is your works, and I'm going to ask you, don't take communion today. Don't do that. Communion is for Christians. And if you're trusting in something else to save you besides Christ, I love you. And you're not a Christian. But you can be. You can be a Christian today. You can can pray. 
You can pray right now and say, Jesus, I don't want to trust in what I'm doing anymore. I put all my hope and trust in what you have done. And if you'll have me, I'm yours. And by the authority of God's word, he will save you. If you say that, not out loud, you don't, but if you say, if you pray that, you mean that he will save you. It is with the mouth that we confess, it was the heart that we believe, and he will save you. And if you prayed that today, I want you to tell me. I'm inviting you to a conversation. Come and let me know because we are going to partay. We're going to get down. That is the best thing that could happen today. But if you are a Christian, we want to invite you to come and take communion. If you're walking with the Lord and you're, you're, you're walking in repentance, you're not trusting in, in other things, and I'm not saying you're perfect. There are none of us that are perfect. But if, you, if, if you're a Christian, we invite you to come and take communion today. And take the bread, representative of his life, his, his perfect life. And the juice, representative of his death, that covers all of your sin. And that's why you have a place at the table. That's why you have a place in God's family. Because of what our good, faithful, older brother has done for us. And then I'm going to invite you, as you go back to your seats, that we sing. That we sing and we give God the praise he is worthy of. That we bless him. And we sing loud enough that the people around us can hear it. That they're blessed too. Alright? So, I'm going to pray for us. And I invite you into that conversation. Or to come take communion. And invite all of us to sing together as a congregation. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. God, save my friends. God, may we commune with you. May we remember what you have done for us. That makes all of this possible. This gospel mission possible, that you have brought together people here at the table that are from very, very different walks of life. And it is the gospel that brings us together and holds us together. God, thank you for that. God, may we sing to you all the praise that you deserve. It's in your good, good, good name that we ask it. Amen.